0: Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Let me make sure I'm on here. There we go. Uh, my name is Brandon Freemian. I am the equipping pastor here at the church. So today is a special Sunday, this is the beginning of Advent. So Advent is the four seasons that are the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, and it's in these Sundays that we remember that period of time when people were waiting for Messiah. We remember the events leading up to Jesus' birth. We remember when God was beginning that great work of salvation that he was going to do through Jesus. And I think these stories of this time of waiting before Jesus resonates to today because in a similar way, we find ourselves waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for Jesus to come the first time. We now wait for the second. And so Advent is the season of preparation, one, a preparation for the Christmas season and that time of remembering the birth of Jesus, but it's also a time of preparation for us as we have time to reflect on, are we ready for Jesus' second coming? Are we prepared? Are we longing for Messiah the way they longed for Messiah to come? So for this Advent season, we are going to be looking at the stories leading up to Jesus' birth out of the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to start that off looking at the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah out of Luke 1, 1 through 25. And I want to look at this story from the perspective of what does it mean for us to be prepared? And what is it that maybe I hope God will accomplish in our congregation in the midst of this Advent season? So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 1. Uh, We're going to be reading Luke 1, 1 through 25. So I want you to hear the whole story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. So beginning in verse 1, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus." that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have first Luke's introduction to his entire gospel. And he talks about how he's writing this to a Theophilus. We don't really know who Theophilus is. There's a lot of theories about who this person was, or even if it was a person. It could have been a Roman official. It could have been like a high priest or someone in authority uh, in Jewish circles. Uh, There's some theories that it may not have been a person at all. It actually may have been a group of people because the name Theophilus means Lover of God, or loved of God, or friend of God. Those are all kind of acceptable translations. So it may have been a way of sort of saying he's writing to the beloved. So it could have been a particular group, or maybe even the whole church. But regardless of who that is, he's writing this with the purpose of setting out an orderly account of the life of Jesus. But he doesn't start with the life of Jesus. He backs up a little bit. And instead, he starts with this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he starts out introducing us by their character. He describes them in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So we have this couple who is walking faithfully before God according to the scriptures, keeping the commandments. And they're doing so in the midst of a time when it would have been a great challenge to do so. Because this is a troubled time for Israel. Rome has occupied Israel. And they are, although still able to worship in the temple, there have been some things put in place that makes it hard to remain the integrity of worship in the temple. They are a people occupied. They do not feel like they are experiencing what God had intended in terms of God's people in God's place, serving God to their fullness. And they are longing for freedom. They are longing for change. And in the midst of that, you have this couple who is faithfully serving God under these trying circumstances. But we find out something else that puts that intention. Because the second thing they tell us is that Elizabeth was barren, she had no children. Now, that may not strike us today the way I think it would have in those days where for a woman to not have a child would have been interpreted by many as a sign that she did not have God's favor. It would have been a source of shame. In fact, Elizabeth says as much at the end of this passage where she says, by receiving a child that God has taken away her reproach among people. So you have this tension where this couple that is serving God faithfully nonetheless is barren and unable to have children which would have been a, seemed to be a sign that God was not favoring them. What is going on? We also find out that Zechariah is a priest. So he was a Levite and in this story he's fulfilling his obligations to burn incense in the temple. So If you know a little bit about the the layout of the temple, there was the most holy place, which is where they would go once a year to make the sacrifice for atonement. But there was next to that an adjacent room, the holy place, where you would have had the table of showbread, and you would have had the place for them to burn incense. And so the priests would go in there on a regular rotation and burn incense as a way of worshiping God. And they had a rotation set up by casting lots. It talks about how it was by chance, the idea that God was setting the rotation of the priests. So although it was by lots, it was no accident that Zechariah was there that day. And it was not a normal day in the office for Zechariah, right? He goes in to do his normal incense, and you have to kind of imagine him going about his business when suddenly there's someone else in the room with him. Now, the holy place was not a very big room, so you have to imagine suddenly there is an angel very close by, and understandably, as often happens in scriptures, when angels show up, people freak out. And very often, the first words from an angel, just like here, are, don't be afraid. It's okay. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah." And I find this interesting. He says, your prayer has been heard. And we get another little window here in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth which is that they'd been praying for something. And he goes on to say, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now I have no doubt that Zachariah and Elizabeth were praying for the restoration of Israel and praying for Messiah and all of those things, but I think we see here something a little more personal. This seems to indicate they've been praying for child. And that would probably mean that they had been praying for a long time. You have to imagine, and I'm speculating a little bit here, but that Zechariah and Elizabeth probably weren't terribly old when they were first married. That probably they had been trying to have a child for most of their life. And now they are old enough that when the angel tells them that they're going to have a child, Zechariah doesn't believe him, right? It's past that as a possibility which means they have been praying and praying and praying for a very, very long time. And the angel comes and says, that thing that you have been praying for, God has heard it. He has heard that prayer. And he goes on from there and he says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. You know, I think that the story of John the Baptist, who is this just tremendous figure in the scriptures, obviously gets a lot of attention, but I think it sometimes eclipses the story of his parents. So I had not really thought much about this story from the perspective of Elizabeth and Zechariah, but when I started thinking about it from there, this really struck me, where God... Send his angel, and the angel comes and says, one, I have heard this prayer that you have been praying for for so long. I'm fulfilling it, and that you are going to experience joy and gladness. That struck me because on the one hand, we know that God is beginning to orchestrate something truly amazing and cosmic in scale. Right? This is the preparations for John, who is going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. He's preparing the way for Messiah. He's coming to prepare the way for the one who is gonna die on behalf of our sins. It is gonna allow for our redemption, and not just our redemption, but according to Romans 8, the redemption of all creation. Like, The scale of what's going on here is huge. And yet, in the midst of orchestrating this thing on such a cosmic scale, at the same time, God is orchestrating the fulfillment of the prayer of this couple and orchestrating that they will experience joy and gladness. That is the one thing I love about God. I think as people, we sometimes have trouble operating in both the small scale and the big scale at the same time. There's just something about our minds that when things start to get really big, we have to abstract things, and it becomes a lot harder. When when you think about this in terms of organizations or just parties and things like that where it just, when things get bigger, it becomes a lot harder to care for the individual, right? God doesn't have that problem. God does not have that problem. He is capable of orchestrating the salvation of the entire world at the same time that He is orchestrating, fulfilling the prayer of this couple and bringing joy and gladness into their life. And that is something I find extraordinary and that I love about who God is that he can operate at both of those at the same time. And when I was reading this story, and I saw God in this, seeing fit to bring joy and gladness to Zachariah and Elizabeth, I'll be honest, it was something that brought me a lot of hope. And the reason for that is, over the last two years in my own life, I would have said I, I, I've experienced more dark days than I have in any other period of my life. Some of that was because of just things that were going around, going on that were grieving to me and, and processing all of that. But there was also just days that were dark, for reasons that I couldn't put my finger on why. just days where it felt like the darkness could not break through. Or as John Piper. The, we talked about, like, the darkness would not lift, the light will not break through. I, I just was in places where I didn't understand why I felt the way I did. I'm guessing many of you can relate to days like that. And one of the things that I have been praying for in my own life is just a restoration of joy, that God would break through and restore joy. And I can look back over... The last two years and see him beginning to fulfill that prayer. But when I read this, like I really resonated with Elizabeth and Zachariah who had something that was this burden on their life and God saw fit and was able to break through in the midst of that and bring joy and gladness. You last week we had our Thanksgiving Sunday, and um, I just want to first just express my gratitude to all of you who were willing to come up and share last Sunday. Um, that was a really beautiful time of getting to see what God has been doing in us. And I appreciated just the thanksgiving that was there. And what was, I was struck by how much that thanksgiving was in the midst of a lot of us experience grief. Experiencing intense grief in our life and yet finding ways to give thanks in the midst of that. But as I was reflecting on this passage and, and thinking about our church, I think my prayer for our church... In the midst of Advent, is that we would experience what Zachariah and Elizabeth are experiencing too. That God would break through here as well, and that we as a church would again find joy and gladness. Some of that may be in the ways that it's happening for Zachariah and Elizabeth, maybe not necessarily with, you know, late kids, but maybe in the form of prayers that we've been praying for that we'll see fulfilled. But more than that, I think my hope is that we will find again joy in our salvation. And I see that in this passage too because I find it striking that after it says that you and your wife Elizabeth will experience joy and gladness, it says this, it says many will rejoice in his birth, right? There is something going on here that is not just gonna be joy for them, it's going to be joy for many. And I want to look a little bit about what that is because I think it points to some things that are important for us if we are looking for God to restore joy. Because what is he about? Well, it says this as the angel is explaining who this boy John is going to be. He says, he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, what's going on here with the not drinking strong drink? So I think this is an echo of something that we see in the Old Testament. So in Numbers 6, there is something called the Nazarite vow. And this was a particular vow that people who were followers of God could take. It was kind of a way of setting themselves apart in a special way for God. It was sort of like God knew that there were going to be people that really wanted to, you know, do something for God and really set themselves apart. And so he, he created in his law this thing called the Nazarite vow. And one of the aspects of that was that you didn't drink alcohol for the time that you were under that vow. There were also some other parts of it, like you weren't supposed to cut your hair. Uh, and you also, there was some additional cleanliness laws in there. So, What I think we're seeing here is not necessarily saying a full Nazarite vow, but there is an echo here of this idea of someone who is set apart. That God is saying, John is set apart for something in particular that I'm doing. And he says that the Holy Spirit is going to be on him. So what is that role? What is he being set apart to do? And it says this, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. One of the primary things that John is going to do is he is paving the way for the Messiah. He is preparing a people. And one of the big parts of that preparation is turning people turning Israelites back to God. And this gives us a little window into what was going on in that time, that Israel did not just have a Rome problem. That was certainly a problem. They were occupied, and they were not experiencing the the fullness of of what Israel was supposed to be. But what this seems to be saying is they also had an orientation towards God problem there were many in Israel who had turned away from God. And so it says that he's going to send someone who's in the spirit of Elijah. Now, there's there's something very important we have to go to in the Old Testament that I'm going to get to about why Elijah. But for just a second, think back to who Elijah was. So Elijah was Old Testament prophet during King Ahab. And... This was a time when a majority of Israel had turned away from God, was was worshiping the Baals, and Elijah's job was to to come in and to, just like John was doing, turn God's people back to God. And you remember how that went. Like, you can remember the the big showdown on Mount Carmel where Elijah is there and he ends up calling down fire from heaven and we have this, this time of mass repentance where the people are turning away from Baal and coming again to God. And what the angel is saying, is that John is going to be doing that kind of thing again. It is a calling back of people to the Lord. And I think this is a critical part, because remember, this is under why people would be rejoicing, right? And, And I don't think we sometimes think of repentance as being something that would be a matter of us rejoicing, but... If God is truly the source of all joy, then if we are truly to experience joy, a part of that must be us turning to him. And so if we are not turned towards God, if we are not oriented towards him, if we are not pursuing him, then I think it's unlikely that we're gonna be experiencing joy. Now let me be real clear about something. I am not saying that every aspect of what would lead us to times of sorrow and darkness are because of our sin. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that could be part of it, right? That there may be a calling back to the Lord that needs to take place in our life. And that was part of what John is going to do. And we're going to see him take up that work. If you continue in Luke, you see that, that one of his big messages was repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And you see all of these people coming and being baptized and repenting and turning again to the Lord. And that that is a cause for great rejoicing. And I think when we think about what is Advent, what does it mean to be prepared? A part of that has to be us looking at our lives and saying, are we oriented towards God? Are we pursuing God? Or is this a season where God is saying, turn around and come back to me? And inviting us into a season of of repentance and a deeper following of him. But I mentioned earlier that there was something in the Old Testament that's very important. So this language here, that he is going to come in the spirit of power of Elijah, that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, this is actually fulfillment of prophecy that comes out of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me cr- quickly over to Malachi 4. So it is the last book of the Old Testament. So Malachi is one of the later prophets that we have. And at the end of Malachi, we have this prophecy about the great day of the Lord, which I'm not going to go into all of the prophecy around the great day of the Lord, but included in that is a great deal of messianic expectation that there was going to be one coming who was going to bring both judgment and restoration. He says this in verse 5 Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So when Luke tells us that John is coming in the spirit of Elijah and he's coming to restore the hearts of fathers to children, this is what he's pointing back to. He's saying this is happening with John right, that one is going to be coming that is going to be like Elijah, that is going to have the spirit of Elijah, and that that person is going to come before the day of the Lord comes, before Messiah comes. So Luke is telling us, flat out, he's giving us big signals, Messiah is coming. Which is another of the big, this is why we rejoice, right? This is a huge, People are going to rejoice at John, not just because of who John is, but because of what he represents. He represents that someone greater than John is coming. He represents that the great saving work of God is beginning. The great day of the Lord is getting ready to come. But he also says this, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. I find that to be such an interesting part of this prophecy. Again, kind of looking at the big scale and the little scale, right? We have him talking about the day of the Lord and these big messianic expectations, but he says that one of the things that's going to happen in the wake of that, and it's going to happen in the wake of John's ministry, is that there is going to be reconciliation happening within families. That fathers, they use fathers, but I think it's safe to say parents are going to have their hearts turned to their children and their children are going to have their hearts turned to their parents, that there's going to be restoration of relationship within families. I remember, you know, it's, it's funny the things you remember from when you're a kid, but I actually remember my pastor, uh, Pastor Ken Sinclair talking about that passage. And I remember one of the things that he pointed out is there's one way you could think of it is just between fathers and their children. So for instance, It would be between me and David, and David, so my heart being turned to David, and David's heart being turned to mine, and that being one aspect of it. But you can also think of it in terms of multiple generations, right, of David's heart being turned to mine, mine being turned to David, but also with my father, there being reconciliation taking place there, right? I think that this is pointing out that one of the things, just like we've seen a lot in a number of different aspects this year, that when God is doing his work of restoration and of turning us back to him, one of the things that always results from that is that there is increasing reconciliation in our relationships. And here it seems to be saying that in the work of John, that is going to start with restoration in families. And, and this also was something that really resonated with me for this Advent season because I have throughout this year heard many stories from many in this congregation of just strained relationships amongst families. Like just a lot of the things that's been happening in our our world has has made family relationships, at least some of them, harder. And so I see something here, uh, again, bringing me hope that, One, God has the ability and desire for us to experience joy and gladness. And then, two, he has the desire to see reconciliation happening within our families and has the power and capacity to make that happen. And I find great hope and joy and gladness in that. So, I think here in the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth I have kind of what I am hoping God does for us in our church my my prayer for our church and something I would like for us to pray together here in a moment is that we would be looking to God and praying towards his restoration of joy and gladness in our community I'm praying that This season is a season where we as a congregation turn to the Lord. Either because we're already oriented that way or for some of us, maybe it's going to be a season where we need to examine our lives and repent of some things. But that either way that we are as a community looking forward to the coming of Messiah, to the coming of Jesus, that that is something that, that fills us with joy and that we look forward to the remembrance of what, Jesus has done, that this is a season of preparation, of turning back to the Lord. And the third thing I'm praying is that this is a season of restoration, of familial restoration, where God, we will see God doing the work of healing relationships within families. You'll notice there's not a lot here that's about what we do beyond maybe the repenting. And that's okay. I think Right now, in the season of Advent, I want to see us turning to God and seeking him to do these things in us. Because we see in Luke, he's done it before. And I think I'm guessing that for those of us who have walked with the Lord, we have seen him do these things over and over and over again because this work of saving, of restoring of bringing joy and gladness in the midst of brokenness and healing broken relationships seems to be what God is about. And I know he loves us and is seeking that for us in our church. So if you will, let's pray together for this Advent season that God would be doing these things in our congregation. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. This couple that was waiting for a long time for you, but you proved yourself faithful and good. Lord, you restored joy and gladness in their life and not only to them, but to so many. And Lord, we long for that for ourselves as well. I pray, God, for our hearts, our church, that this would be a season of restoration of joy and gladness, of a returning back to you, that we would find our joy in the midst of knowing you. We would find our joy in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished in us. And we pray God that you would do the work of restoring family relationships. Lord, and in the places where those relationships are broken, and hard and conversations are hard. Lord, I pray that you would show up in ways that we don't expect, that you would bring restoration and healing in ways that we don't expect, that we know is nothing but your hand. Lord, I pray that you would use this Advent season um, to bring joy, to bring gladness, and to bring our hearts back to you even more fully. Lord, if there are things in our lives that are hindering our joy because they are not of you, if there are things in our lives that we are walking away from you, Lord, please surface those things and lead us towards repentance. And Lord, may we remember the joy of our salvation. We love you and give you all the praise and the glory in your name. Amen.